Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to the potpourri of penetrating insights that is season two. This is your host, Jackson Hogan, back to regale you with, well, everything there is to know about alpine skiing. In today's episode, I pick up the tangled thread of my autobiographical ruminations, The Making of a Skier, with Chapter 14, My Illustrious Nordic Career. For the record, I never professed to be any good at either cross-country or Nordic jumping, and as my coaching operated on the same level as my innate skill set, I didn't get one whit better at either despite repeated attempts to pound the necessary skills into me. It is due to the bottomless generosity of our members that RealSkiers.com is able to bring you this episode of Jackson Illuminates Everything About Skiing, uncluttered by commercial appeals. And now, The Making of a Skier, Part 14, My Illustrious Nordic Career. I was raised in a bygone era marked by a barbarism that would shock the delicate sensibilities of the current generation. Among the degradations endured was the commingling of Nordic and Alpine ski events, apparently honoring some great amateur athletic ideal of the all-around skier. As I was raised as an alpine skier, I was ill-prepared for the rigors of either cross-country racing or Nordic jumping, as this episode of The Making of a Skier shall illuminate. Your appreciation of my travails will be enhanced by a fine Armagnac and the understanding that I was born nearly blind. The telescope-thick lenses I wore duct-taped to my face I'm not kidding, my frames were always broken. They would fog the moment they were exposed to winter. In a tuck position, my glasses were worthless anyway. And guess what position is required as prelude to leaping into the void? Please hold this thought, as it will come in handy in a few paragraphs. One more bit of background before proceeding. While I was establishing new lows in the history of Nordic competition, my brother Robin won every Ski Meister award in every event we both competed in at Andover and Yale. He always won Ski Meister because he was very good in the Alpine events and always won the jumping, as he did again the day my jumping career came to a screeching halt at the home hill of St. Michael's near Burlington, Vermont. One of the really fun cultural quirks of Nordic jumping is that those with the least talent are forced to go first, to warm up the crowd and help wear down the track. As I was demonstrably the least talented jumper there, I got to go first. Remember, as soon as I drop in my tuck, I can barely see where I'm going. About all I knew is that fortune favors the brave, so I pulled my goggles over my Mount Palomar lenses, fogging them instantly, stepped into the fresh track and hurtled downward towards the lip, which I leapt off with all the gusto I could muster. I was still in what I thought was the laid-out position adopted by those, like my brother, who knew what they were doing, when I stuffed myself face-first into Mother Earth. Did I mention my parents had made the trip up from the homestead in Peru to watch their youngest son try to furrow a patch of Vermont farmland with his forehead? Here's the best part. (laughs) That was my practice jump. I had to scramble to recover my goggles, which turns out had been shattered by the impact, as quickly as I could, as I was wearing bib number one. It must have been more like watching a medical experiment than a sport. I'm sweating from the trot uphill to the start, but at least I don't have any goggles to fog up. Bear in mind, I still have no idea how to do what I'm about to do. I only had one game plan, and I was sticking to it. Geronimo! 
thud. <laughs> Once again, I had thrown myself like a human lance straight into the hill. Without goggles to buffer the blow, my waffle-thick glasses sliced into my face, opening a gusher just below my eye. They had to pause the event so my blood could be raked out of the outrun. I have often wondered about the skier from St. Michael's who wore bib number two. He probably wasn't much better than I was, and he'd been asked to wait while some bozo's blood is wiped away. <laughs> Christening St. Mike's spanking new jumping hill with my blood can't have been good for morale. Brother Robin, of course, won. I was taken to a nearby hospital to get stitched up. Recognizing a likely source of future profits, upon registration the hospital issued me a credit card, which I thought was rubbing it in. My ability to withstand repeated concussions impressed my coach, but I don't think he could stand to watch another on his watch, so he permitted me to retire from my career as a face farmer. I still had to enter the customary 15K cross-country race if I wanted to compete in slalom and GS, which was punishment enough. If my signature move on the jumping hill was to auger in nose first, my special talent in cross-country was diving out of the track so an overtaking Norwegian who went to Holderness could whiz past. I wasn't very good at even this simple task, often tripping on the edge of the track and tumbling into the loose snow alongside. Once I got so overheated trying to get up that both glasses and goggles became coated with a thick glaze that smudged the outline of every detail. Somehow in this hazy cocoon, I contrived a rare rhythm to my stride, creating an illusion of confidence that only grew stronger as minute by minute went by without hearing someone with a Scandinavian accent yell, TRACK! This is another one of cross-country's hidden charms, is that the overtaking skier has the right of way. It seems like sort of a social Darwinism at work. The stronger shall become stronger, because we keep pitching the weak on the side of the trail, from which they haven't the slimmest possibility of recovery. Anyway, back to the race. An aerial view of my situation would have revealed that I had veered off into what were probably snowshoe tracks that followed a loop through the forest that I was traipsing around all by my lonesome. <laughs> I thought I was about to turn in a personal best time when my exasperated coach suddenly appeared out of the gloaming mist to inform me that the race had ended an hour earlier. I literally had been traveling around a track in the woods. I remember going past this one cabin that seemed sort of eerily unoccupied, and I had little moments of the shining in my head. All of this cabin did not resemble in any way a hotel in Estes Park, but <laughs> who knows? I was hallucinating. Cross-country skiing was obviously not good for my psyche. At any rate, I was winning. It was the best race of my misbegotten cross-country career. Yet by the end of the day, it had been expunged from the record book before it could be entered, as if it had never occurred. Please note the eerie parallels with my similarly self-erasing yumping history. My inability to finish many of the Nordic events into which I was conscripted meant my involvement over six barren seasons barely left a trace. If my anemic Nordic career is ever made into a movie, it ought to be titled The Invisible Man. It would make an unbearably dull film, free of cumbersome plot devices, tedious character development, and any morally redeeming qualities. But at least it would be short. This has been Real Skiers with Jackson Hogan. Thanks for listening.